0: Namaste, prayers and meditations and we are continuing the trail of the mother's inner and outer journey and today we will read a prayer, we will start with a prayer which she wrote, writes when she arrives at Pondicherry. So this marks the first major transition if you may say so. And as we can see that uh, through the prayers, one gets a hint that in the beginning, though all the three streams, uh, jnana, bhakti and karma, that is uh, knowledge, devotion or love, there is a slight difference between the two. And uh, works, they are going together. But if you see that before she comes to Sri Aurobindo, there is... uh, the jnana or the knowledge aspects, which is very much in the forefront. It is Maheshwari, the goddess of wisdom. She is showing us about life, about details, about rules, about how one should conduct one's affairs. All these things she is revealing, also profound in experiences of oneness. All that we find in the first part. And on March 29th, 1914, in Pondicherry she writes, O thou... Whom we must know, understand, realize, absolute consciousness, eternal law. Eternal law is literally what we know today is, you know, Sanatana Dharma, <laughs> the eternal law. Thou who guides and enlightenest, or who determines and inspirest. Grant that these weak souls may be strengthened and those who are fearful may be reassured. To thee I confide them in the same way as I confide to thee the destinies of all of us. So we can see very clearly that it is a integral knowledge, absolute consciousness, eternal law, inconceivable all this comes before this point and then the famous prayer of March 30th 1914 it's not a prayer to be hastily read so I'll just uh, read that last bit when she comes she when mother was asked that uh, how did you become conscious of your mission so she says that it was very simple between 11 to 13 I had a series of experiences it is documented here And in that she used to see a number of masters who used to come. And among them there was one who was prominent and she called him Krishna. And when she came here, she recognized that he is the Krishna whom she used to see since uh, a long time. And uh, the moment she saw, she knew that this is the work, my work and the mission lies here. So we have this prayer, beautiful prayer. I'll read just the last bit. It matters not. This is March 30th, 1914. So she has met Sri Aurobindo. And after that she writes, It matters not if there are hundreds of beings plunged in the densest ignorance. So this is what her prayer is. She sees ignorance and she um, discovers oneness and she wants all these this creation to rise up, to climb up to oneness in that state. But now she writes something very interesting. He whom we saw yesterday is on earth. So she has seen the Krishna of her her visions. And the moment she sees that, oh, he is not just an apparition, he is on earth. So this prayer is very interesting. The divine presence on earth is the assurance of a divine future. This secret India always had. And that's what we see uttered in the story of Krishna and the Gita. In the West also, it is there hinted in the uh, doctrine of the Christian mystics. But they have lost it because they became very exclusive. Only my master and therefore they, they forgot this truth about divine presence upon earth. So she says, his presence is enough to prove that a day will come when darkness shall be transformed into light when thy reign shall be indeed established upon earth. So, what a wonderful thing. Much later she would say that throughout the period when Sri is here, after 1950, I think somewhere in 1960, she is just recounting back the experiences. And she says that till 1950, till Sri physical presence, she says, what a tremendous security. She had to do nothing, she was taking care of all the disciples and all that she would do is go back and say, Lord, and she would give it all to him. And Shurabindo with a smile, a gesture, a word would take care of everything. This was a relation, not that she couldn't do, but this is their relation. We have so many stories. One of them is that night time when they would uh, sit together after long... And they would discuss about the letters of the disciples, some of these letters. And that is the time when uh, Champak Lalji would be outside to attend to any requirement. And he was instructed that uh, you, whatever you hear, you have to learn to keep it inside. Because she would be saying so many things, such things about God knows creation, about people around her who were, we don't even know who were what. And uh, I mean, Shobindha at one of the places has remarked to Kishore Gandhi, uh, to Nalnida, and Nalnida had it printed that some of those who are close to me are great asuras, and the closer the disciple, the greater the asura. <laughs> and so we don't know what was happening and what was transpiring. And um, this is how their Leela was unfolding upon earth. But after Shobindha's physical. Withdrawal. She had to take both the works. One was, of course, the ashram and everything. On the other side, the entire inner preparation and all that to provide that kind of solid bedrock of security. Because many of the disciples, they felt suddenly, they saw the mother going everywhere, playing tennis and everything. So they couldn't understand that, you know, suddenly this physical withdrawal. And that is the time when The mother, twelve days after that, she gave a darshan and she smiled and as she smiled, everything was scattered. So she had to do play both the roles of, if I may say so, single parenting, father and mother, both roles she had to adopt. So then she speaks of uh, something beautiful on April 1, 1914. She writes something and this is one of the ways we can understand the ashram. Several ways we can understand the ashram. The least of all is as an institution. Institutions, organizations are not the way to understand. <laughs> At one place, um, the mother writes to Amal Kiran, uh, The ashram is Shorvindho's own body extended. That's how it is. And another, another place, I think Niruddha mentions or someone mentions that every. This is a feeling all of us have. That every brick, every thing has her stamp, her feet. You go to playground, I had this urge of even eating the dust in the playground because I felt mother has placed, placed her feet here. So, ashram's significance is that. I mean, otherwise rest is organization. But here, see how she describes, there is no ashram at that point of time. But how she describes, it seems to me that we have entered into the, into the heart of Thy sanctuary, so it is Sri taposthili. and that is its significance. It is the home where Sri and the mother lived and they did their tapasya. So for all times to come, as long as there is aspiration for the super mind, it will have this tremendous significance. It will be the place of central influence and the intensest vibrations. That's how mother is described. It is charged with the supramental force in a very intense way. It is the place of central influence. So, heart of thy sanctuary and become aware of thy will itself. So this is how the place is. And then on April 3rd she writes that how, what is true surrender? So we bring all our baggage and we want to carry with the baggage while we are with the divine, always comparing, contrasting. See what she writes on April 3rd. It seems to me that I am being born into a new life. And who is saying, <laughs> shedding her past? <laughs> Someone who had realized the yoga of the Gita, the Kundalini yoga, the Raj yoga, the Buddhist yoga, occultism, all the twelve years, this, with all these achievements, even with a fraction of these people become great yogis. And they start making comment on anything and everything, Many times even without anything people make comments but here is she who has realized all these things and yet she says it seems to me that I am being born into a new life and that all the methods and habits of the past can no longer be of any use. It seems to me that what was once a result is now only a preparation. This is exactly what Shirobindo says to Barin that whatever I realized before coming here, all the nirvana, the experience of the divine oneness, seeing the divine in everything, he says it was nothing but the touching of the outer helm of the supreme. You can't imagine. So this great capacity of renouncing even the great realizations… And moving forward is what we see in the mother and sure window it's, it's something tremendous. Otherwise people have a realization and experience, they hold on to it and they feel very great about it. But they could just let it go for a greater future which is to come. That's what we will see constantly through the prayers. It seems to me that what was once a result is now only a preparation. I feel as if I had done nothing yet. As if I had... Not lived the spiritual life, as if I was only entering upon the way which leads to it. It seems to me that I know nothing, that I am capable of formulating anything that all experiences yet to commence. It is as if I was stripped of all my past, of my errors as well as my conquests, as if all that had disappeared to give place to one newborn, whose whole existence has yet to take shape. Now what is this newborn which has suddenly been born? What is she writing? It is the child of the new creation and this we will see throughout her journey. So this is the time we may say that after seeing him, after the two met each other, This child of the new creation is born in her and this new creation has no past, it has no karma. She literally uses this word, whose whole existence has yet to take shape, who has no karma, no experience it can profit by but no error either which it must repair. This is how she describes actually that the supramental being it will have no karma. As it is going through action and life, it will incur no karma. And even in Savitri, much later, uh, the Supreme master says, you want uh, the manifestation of the supermind upon earth. He doesn't use these words, but he says, you know, it will disturb the whole link. Men will be like gods and there will be no bonds. Completely free, they will move. So it's going to disturb the balance of creation. And she says, yes, she's aware of this. So this, when she says, is like the new creation will be beyond all the past achievements so far. All the Rishi, Muni, Yogi, all that will, it's like you climb a peak, human peak, Mount Everest. From there you see the sun. It's very high when you compare to the earth. But imagine on the Mount Everest, you meet a child coming from the sun now what is the difference world of difference even the peak of the old creation the over mind consciousness is nothing compared to the new creation which is going to come and Shubindra has hinted at it when somebody wrote a poem hail oh last rishi so Dilip Kumar Roy told him I don't like this idea of last rishi why won't there be rishis anymore so he says well in a way who knows because the age of rishis will be replaced by the superman, not exact word. But he says superman is going to come. Superman is not, you can't put him in any category. That's why she has not used the word yogis, is nothing. They have not used the word, they have just used the word superman. Why? Because it doesn't fall in any of the categories. So this beautiful prayer just hints at it. And... Beautifully what is required for it, what is complete surrender we see on prayer of April 7th 1914 I seem now to hear thy voice, never hast thou been able to die integrally And what is that integral dying means? Always something in thee has wished to know, to see, to understand, to be free even from knowledge even beyond avidya, vidya, but to be free beyond avidya and vidya both, from which knowledge has come and from which ignorance has come. And these states are described in Savitri, beyond knowledge and ignorance, beyond being and non-being. There are states like that, she climbs to that. So this, as I said, up till now, we will see that knowledge, wisdom, all that is very prominent. Prominent. Surrender completely. Learn how to disappear. Break the last dam which separates thee from me. Accomplish without reserve thy act of surrender. In that poem of Shurvindu, one day we see it. A step and all is sky and God. So this is how it continues. And then she experiences uh, all without limit. Everything Then there is a, there are many beautiful prayers, all of them of course and but I'll just uh, read one of them. So in this yoga, one of the things that is required is plasticity. So people often ask the mother that what kind of discipline should I follow? I think today also somebody posted that. <laughs> because in everywhere you have a set discipline. Every day morning you get up, two hours you sit, do this japa, do this meditation, do this puja. Now problem with this discipline is, it gives you one, an illusion that you are doing something. But at the same time, we have to understand what we are approaching, him whom we are approaching. is not a mechanical someone. He responds to the living vibration in the heart. We may be taking a walk on the road and in the heart something may be going on. That is what the divine responds to. So our criteria, our idea that he is sitting there and watching whether these people are sitting straight, whether they are completely in alignment in the spine, all this is okay for, for a certain stage of development. And the mother and Shovindhu they have categorically said discipline is required to organize your life. And it's good to make a discipline for oneself. But if we take that as the beginning and end of spiritual life, then we stop. And that's why she says on April twenty third, all rules have vanished. The regularity of the discipline has disappeared. All effort has ceased, not by my own will, not I think, nor I think, by negligence either. But because the circumstances conspire to make it so. It seems to me that this inner will, always alert, which is like a steersman at the helm, has evaporated. So, you know, she experiences that state. And several places it will come where she becomes what is described in the Gita as Sarva Sankalpa sannyasi. No more an initiation of personal will. So these are very high states and then she speaks about the double identification with the divine and the work. And what we see here slowly, in August, I'll... I said... Um, of them is… Slowly she is becoming aware of the kind of work, but that comes later on. May 20th, 1914, at one place she describes that I have climbed to, you have made me climb to each summit and then brought down, then to another summit. So all the yogic realizations. There is a very interesting story of the mother where she… Uh, she sees that there are a window opens and all the yogas of the past they come and show her that uh, see what we have realized and she sees as if through a window you see a small patch of sky and she encourages says yes, yes, yes that is <laughs> quite nice so she sees all of them and then there is a person sitting there and uh, uh, tells her why don't you try my dish he says okay so he gives a dish So she tastes it and says, ah, this is delicious. And then she asks him, what is your path? He says, it is the path of no path. I have no path. So see, this is a very interesting, we hear in the life of yogis, like, see, Raman Maharshi was going through changing spots and all, and one day Divine Mother comes in the form of an old lady and tells him, why are you restlessly going from here and there? Why don't you take your seat permanently here? And he stays. And Shrivindo confirmed that it was none else but the Divine Mother who had guided him. So we see in the life of Buddha. So here, the Supreme Himself is coming. I have no path. So she has to the path that they are going to give. Which subsequently they have given is a, such a vast path that you can't limit it into this sect, that sect, another form of yoga. It is none of these things. Not a new religion, not a new teaching, not a new creed. All this, he says. Why? Because it's a path which we can equally say no path. Because Shubhendu writes that in the synthesis of yoga, he has no methods and all methods. So, from the height of that summit, which is which is identification with thy divine infinite love, now that love aspect uh, begins to grow more and more. Thou hast turned my look toward this complicated body which has to serve thee as an instrument and thou hast said to me, it is thy myself. Seest thou not that my light shines in it? So she discovers the divine presence in the very body and body. Not, not inside as an imminent divine, but in the very physical substance of the body. So... There is one very powerful. I, I only indicate um, one of the very powerful meditations on love. So it's on May twenty-third, nineteen fourteen. Uh, time, so we won't read, but it something. We'll just touch upon one or two. She experiences this love, and this love she starts. Um, Uh, May the God in form who is manifesting in this aggregate be wholly moulded of thy complete and sublime love, that love which is at once the source and the realization of all knowledge. Thy love become irresistible purity and constant energy. May this intermediary being made weak profit by its weakness To reconstitute itself With the elements Which may be wholly moulded of thy love What a profound truth And we see it in Mahalakshmi When Sri describes She uses Even our weaknesses And one wonders How is the Divine Mother Using a weakness See people who are So called Strong people And mastered themselves Mother says They develop a profound ego. I am I am a master I am you know totally controlled but the weak people <laughs> their one advantage not that one should be weak but the advantage is they are very malleable and the divine mother uses that also to build perfection okay this fellow i can mold because <laughs> he will <laughs> agree and accept but otherwise uh, persons who are very strong willed apparently and who have completely you know uh, we have to do that but not the way we understand. So she speaks about how this love, Mahalakshmi's love, all this, thy love is vaster than the universe and more enduring than the ages. It is infinite and eternal. It is thyself and it is thyself that I would be and that I am since such is thy law and such is thy will. Because this is what you have willed for me. So, um, okay. So, this May 25th, 1914, this is a prayer in identification with the earth. Several prayers are like that. And when I ask this of thee, the eye which speaks to thee is the whole earth, inspiring to be this pure diamond, perfect reflector of thy supreme light. And look now what she writes The hearts of all men beat in my heart. All their thoughts vibrate in my thoughts. The least aspiration of the docile animal or of the modest plant joins in my formidable aspiration and all this lifts itself towards thee to the conquest of thy love and light scaling the peaks of the being to attain to thee to ravish thee from thy immobile beatitude and make the penetrate into the shadow of suffering. So, this is the whole secret of the avatar, which she reveals in one of her conversations later. So as to transform it into divine joy, into sovereign peace. Okay. So, what exactly happens is, when a person represents the divines, he says, and you root through that, that person. It is the secret of the human persona, the divine avatar. Many people say... Why should we, Krishna is all inside and Krishna is a consciousness. So uh, they start approaching as a consciousness, Shiva is nothingness. Like that they start approaching. But the problem is then, okay, that vastness and we are a small little flame. That's exactly what Yama tells Nachiketa. Uh, Na tatra bhati nema chandra tarakam kutu Yamagni. What is your flame which is going to burn there and reach there? But when we join the or root it through the divine representative, the human guru, the divine become human, the guru, then because we have joined in his earth which is like a burning inferno, it automatically joins and it's lifted up, it gets such a boost. That's what she is describing. This one way of describing the avatar, that when we approach through the embodied divine or the guru, or the master and body divine, of course, is perfect; then that our little aspiration joins and reaches to heights beyond our very imagination, so this is the this where she answers, people want to do all by themselves, a mother is inside, universal mother, all that okay, each one has a right, but behind all this is nothing but the arrogance of the ego refusing to surrender, but it's okay, <laughs> let people try. <laughs> I'll contact the supermind myself. All these uh, egoistic things mm. is is fine. Each one has his own way. Uh, there are places you'll be surprised. Uh, Some even in. Uh, okay, I'm just resisting, I won't take the name. Uh, places which are named after Surabindo. Okay, city named after Surabindo. But if you talk about Surabindo and the mother, no, 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 no religion. What is there? They don't understand the difference between religion and spirituality. I can understand that people don't understand. But one should want to understand. Just taking for granted, no, no, we don't don't have religion. It's not religion, it's science. And it's common sense. It's reason, (laughs) reason, (laughs) rational. That when we turn to the mother, that's why, and it's obedience to the master. And when we turn to Shurabindu and the Mother, then it becomes so much more simple because our little aspiration enters into them and then it's all towering inferno. But in that true sense. (laughs) Okay. And then several... One prayer particularly which I want to... <clears throat> now this love keeps growing. You will see this after 3rd April. And one of her prayers on June 2nd, 1914. Then I identify myself with thy love and I am nothing but thy inexhaustible love. I penetrate everything. Living in the heart of each atom, I kindled in it the fire that purifies and transfigures, the fire that is never extinguished, the messenger flame of thy beatitude which realizes all perfections. I don't know, people are so charmed by all that they find in the past. Now, past is beautiful, I am not saying that. But where is this kind of a prayer, this kind of a formidable aspiration, this revelation by, let us say, for a by master or a guru who finds in each cell, in every atom, oneself. I have heard about finding in human beings. But finding in each atom of existence as love, which is purifying, dynamic love. It is not a love which is present, but a love that is purifying and transfiguring. And then on June 19th, 1914, she declares. She, slowly she is declaring her, uh, her um, avataric aspect. She writes in a diary, O oh, beloved children, this is a beautiful prayer you know, addressing to all of us. June 9th, 1914, whenever one is in distress, even otherwise, <laughs> O oh, beloved children, sorrowful and ignorant. We can say one is the cause for the other. (laughs) And thou, O rebellious and violent nature, she is addressing now what is written in Savitri, even the dark deities, gods who who sprang up in revolt to find what the white gods had missed, the Asuras, she is now addressing them. A violent nature, what is she asking them? All that she's asking is, open your hearts. Tranquilize your force. It is the omnipotence of love that is coming to you. Not some ordinary love, omnipotence of love. It is the pure radiance of the light that is penetrating you. This human, this earthly R, is the most beautiful among all the hours. Let each, let all know it and enjoy the plenitude that is accorded. O oh, saddened hearts and anxious foreheads, foolish obscurity and ignorant ill will, let your anguish be calmed and effaced. Even those who are, when mother at one place says that I knew that When I. It'll come later that all. the earth rose up in revolt. And then what does she do? She offers it to the Lord. (laughs) Okay, whether you revolt or you don't revolt. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And at the end she says, This is the splendor of the new word that comes. I am here. Under inverted commas. New word what is this word? Doesn't matter who you are, what you are. When uh, Mridu left her in the ashram 1951, first time, so mother saw that uh, there was this uh, seal of Sri on, on the forehead and she asked Sri uh, I mean 51, so obviously it's an inner asking. She says, Sri Aurobindo says, Henceforth, whoever will leave his body here, will come straight to my abode. And the mother says, in her being, she says, she too, <laughs> because she had a very violent, turbulent nature. And Shavinda says, regardless of the state of consciousness. And then she says, what a tremendous power! It doesn't matter who you are. See, we think so much. Oh, bad person, good person. I am this, that it is too much importance. I am somebody, for divine, we are little children, babies. We give too much importance to ourselves. But for the divine little babies, what he cannot do? (laughs) So she says that rejoice because I am here. And of course, uh, June 14th, 1914, she writes, it is a veritable work of creation we have to do to create, New activities and new modes of being, so that this force, already she has brought it with her, unknown to the earth till now, may manifest in its plenitude. Who says that supermind, see, supramental manifestation is 29th February 1956. She was harboring it. <laughs> Just imagine. They were not making advertisement, oh, we have the supermind mental force within us. They were harboring it, already applying it. She is writing this in 1914. This is very beautiful. Again, three lines, June 15th. These are things, prayers, which I suggest that we should write it, these few lines here and there, separately, and keep it as our own little book of... (laughs) <laughs> Solace if you want to call it but There are some prayers which are very interesting Like you have that 13th century prayer no? That uh, Lord grant me the um, uh, Serenity to accept the things I cannot change The courage to change the things I can And the wisdom to know the difference It's a beautiful prayer eh? It doesn't matter what the contest is So here this is like Of course much more powerful Much more intimate and beautiful just three lines. Prayer is much longer. But this in inverted commas Lie nestled in my heart and do not worry. What has to be done will be done. And it is just when you do without knowing it that it is done best. All the plannings, reason, analysis. So, it's full of uh, June June 19th <laughs> prayer. <laughs> One of my favorite ones. Very small prayer. Fill our hearts with the delight of thy love. Flood our minds with the splendor of thy light. Grant that we may manifest thy victory. So, then we see that August, we will... Um, the war has started. It is... And... Um, She identifies with the earth and she takes everything within her in a holocaust. So we have heard the story of Sati plunging into Agni. Why she plunges into Agni? Because world had rejected. So because the world rejected Sati, Sati is Divine Mother. So world has rejected Sati and Shiva. So what is the result? What follows after that? and disorder Shiva's gun they are absolutely now no control <laughs> and they are let loose and all kinds of confusion follows so it is a very significant story which is a holocaust but she describes about becoming a hearth in which she plunges into that sacrifice of the divine mother there is another very interesting experience she describes again we, we have heard about Jyotirling Ling and you know the column of light and some people Skand Mata as the column of light Kapali Shastriji saw her as a column of, of uh, white light but this is so true she describes it as an experience in July 21st 1914 now these were her records she didn't want to publish them but she had kept them in the drawer and been Bindu saw and she has published so she is not Wanting anybody to know about all this? Thank you, (laughs) Shurabindu. This is priceless treasure and we would have been deprived of this. There was no longer the body, no longer any sensation, there was only a column of light rising from the place where is, which is, where is ordinarily the base of the body up to the place where is ordinarily the head to form there a disk of light like that of the moon then from there the column went on rising up to very far above the head now see (laughs) sahasrara we have heard but this is going beyond sahasrara far above the head to break into an immense sun dazzling and multicolored from which fell a rain of golden light covering the whole earth. And then she experiences the whole descent. But in the descent, where does it go? She describes head, throat, heart, middle of the belly, at the base of the spine and still lower. At the height of the knees, the ascending and the descending currents joined together and the circulation thus became in a way uninterrupted. And she further describes that slowly the consciousness descended again from stage to stage and it comes back to the body. And she talks about even in the inconscient it goes. Now these, you know, when Shuravindu said that you have gone far beyond the experiences of the rishis of the Vedas and Upanishads. Now, uh, nothing wrong in reading whatever we want to read. But it's like when you have the ultimate Kohinur. What do you want after that? And then I spoke about world war and where she says, August 5th, O Divine Master, accept the offering of my integral holocaust so that thy work may be done and the time may may not pass in vain. And these people have written about Second World War. They have not written much about the mother's participation in the First World War. Where it was even physical But uh, that's for later And she describes it as Monstrous forces have swept down upon the earth like a hurricane The dark and violent Powerful and blind Give us the force, O Lord, to illumine them Thy splendor must burst forth on them In them everywhere and transfigure their action after their devastating passage, they must leave behind them a divine seed. See, this is what Rudra is meant to do. The violent forces that stoop down. And Rudra, within Rudra there is the seed of Shiva. we will have a new meaning of the word Rudraksh. <laughs> it is the seed of Shiva that it carries within itself. But it is devastating because it will destroy many things which are old. The mother once advised also, she was not very keen that, she said if you keep rudraksh, you should keep also tulsi beads. Rudraksh can be devastating, it's a genuine rudraksh of course. It's very rare to find that. Many you will get otherwise. And when it does that, it carries with... So Vishnu has a calming effect. <laughs> yes. She has spoken of all these things. <laughs> okay. She takes earth in her arms and all that we see. And then finally, very interesting, now we see the growing identification with the Divine Mother. And that grows from September 1st. Constantly we will see that how she is becoming more and more one with the Divine Mother. Shovinda saw all this in a single glance. He had not read the diary then. <laughs> diary is much later. After she is living here, after the mother, all this is already there. Diary is published much later. First publication is 1941. So we can imagine, all this he saw and he knew who she is. And she is writing September 1st, 1914, O oh Mother Divine, With what fervor, what ardent love I came to thee in thy deepest consciousness. And what does she hear? Turn toward those who have need of thy love. This is her command. And then September 4th, O mother, sweet mother, thou claspest all thy children to the vastness of thy breast and thou envelopest them all with an equal love. I have become... The purifying fire of thy love. And then September 6th. O Divine Mother, thy march is triumphal and uninterrupted. See, first time we will see Divine Mother now coming. September 1st onwards. He who unites with thee in an integral love journeys unceasingly towards vaster and vaster horizons. So, to turn to the Mother is everything. Automatically the rest will follow. For the Lord has said, the hour has come and all obstacles will be surmounted. Then she speaks about this love like a rising tide, light like a rising tide, force like a rising tide. Again September 13th, with fervor I salute Thee, O Divine Mother, and with deep feeling I identify myself with Thee. And then she writes, United with our Divine Mother, I turn toward Thee, O Lord, and I salute Thee in a mute adoration. See, the Leela, that's what we see in Shirobinda and the mother's Leela. She would call him Lord. And what did the Lord call him? Mother. Once Dilip Kumar, Roy asked the mother, You and Shirobinda are very good friends, isn't it? He wanted a justification for whatever. So uh, mother said, you know what he calls me? He addresses me as mother. And it's there in evening talks sometimes. Mother will come, <laughs> Sophie <Bilar. laughs> Okay. Then again, September 14th, there is no longer any I, any individuality, any personal limitations. There is only the immense universe, our sublime mother burning with the ardent fire of purification in thy honour, O oh Lord. She has become a yagya Divine master, sovereign will, so that this will may no longer meet with any obstacles in its realization. And this continues. And then this famous prayer, September 25th, 1914. It is famous because then she is now very clear about what is going to happen and what is the work she has to do. O oh, Divine and Adorable Mother, with Thy help, what is there that is impossible? Sri is later on, you know, because she is identified with her, she says, he says, Mother is the path, Mother is the goal. If you turn to her, everything is in her. If you find her, then everything you, you get, because she is the one uh, who takes us through the journey, she becomes the path. And how she becomes the path that also we'll see. Thou hast accepted us as fit intermediaries between the unthinkable realities and the relativities of the physical world. And then she sees, writes, The Lord has willed and thou dost execute. Now she knows she has to do this work. She is the intermediary. A new light shall break upon the earth, a new world shall be born. And the things that were announced, promised, this edition is a little different, shall be fulfilled. Then we know that 24th April 1956, she cancelled shall and she replaces it, have been fulfilled. This is a very interesting prayer on September 30th, 1914. Just imagine who all will appear in this prayer. Let me keep it a little bit of suspense. First, the Divine Mother. Our Divine Mother is with us and has promised us identification with the Supreme and Total Consciousness. From the unfathomable depths to the most external world of sense, so everything will become the Lord. And in all these domains... Agni assures us of the cooperation of his purifying flame. Indra is with us to perfect the illumination in our knowledge and the divine suma, you know, Ananda, has transformed us into his infinite, sovereign, marvelous love that begets the supreme beatitudes. And this he speaks about, O splendid Agni, O Indra, but what goes beyond it? she writes after all this she writes few passages O thou sublime love to whom, whom I have never given any other name but who art so completely the essence of my being so she is completely identified with that supreme mystery or the greatest secret as the mother would call it later on and that greatest secret is love So we'll, um, okay again it comes October 14th, Mother Divine, thou art with us (laughs) and uh, she speaks about, all the earth is in our arms like a sick child who must be cured and for whom one has a special affection because of his very weakness. Cradled on the immensity of the eternal blossomings, becomings. So basically, how she connects with us, (laughs) we how we'll connect. Oh, this child is full of weaknesses, errors. Okay, he's a sick child. So, what what does a mother do to a sick child? Gives much more attention. Of course, this is not a good way to get attention. But we must know that the Divine Mother never abandons. She doesn't say, oh, this is useless. All these human conceptions, Mother said, Mother, uh, strict disciplinarian, Uh, Mother does not like, and Mother said, don't use these words. Because she is that supreme love. If she abandons, (laughs) nothing will even exist. (laughs) Then she says, All this about Identification with the Mother Where she identifies with the Double form of being And non-being And goes beyond it So Even the Rigveda ultimately talks about We had that famous Na Sadhya Sutra That what was it before So you can't describe The gods don't know it The mother's identity Goes beyond both To something of which we can't say anything. This sweet little something for us, November 15, 1914. The only thing important is the goal to be attained. The way matters little. And often it is preferable not to know it in advance. Why? Because the mind formulates and mind thinks I am doing just what I should do. We don't know. Ways through everything. It's a path of no path. And then again, see how the Divine Mother looks upon us. Alas, Sublime Mother, what must be thy patience? Each time that thy conscious will attempts to manifest itself to repair the errors, to hasten the uncertain advance of the individual led astray by his own illusion of knowledge. My effort, I am the one, no, I am doing the right thing, all this. How does she respond? To trace the sure path and furnish him with the strength to walk on it without stumbling. So when she repaired the error and once again puts him back on the path. How does the individual respond? Almost always he repels thee as a fastidious and ill-informed counsellor. You don't know. I know it better. He is willing to love thee in theory with a vague and inconsistent love but his proud mind refuses thee its confidence and prefers to wander alone rather than advance guided by thee. Then she says, And thou repliest ever smiling in thy tireless benevolence this intellectual faculty which makes man vain and leads him into error is the very faculty which can also, once enlightened and purified, lead him further. So how the divine looks at us is very different from all our imagination. Another very beautiful this is November 21st, 1914. I'll just go to the end of this year, just a couple of prayers. Again she is addressing whom? For, uh, for those who have given to her, no supermind, nothing is needed, she takes care. They've given like a flower to the sun. But there are those who are divided between wonder and revolt. So what about them? She says, O thou who art full of hatred, rancor, Rancor will be effaced from thy heart. What is she going to give? You are coming with a heart full of hatred. Okay. My touch, my action will be such that it will efface rancor from your heart. As the sea effaces the impurities upon the sand. What imprints upon the sand? What a marvelous. All our errors. Why errors? Hatred. The sea comes and washes away. Okay. (laughs) Okay. You who feed on vengeance, peace will enter into your hearts as it enters into the soul of the child rocked by its mother. For the divine universal mother has turned her regard upon the earth and blessed it. One last prayer we will read in this series. Next we will finish probably next time. This is December 22nd, 1914. This prayer is significant because mother is asking for something which seemed very strange. And Sri Aurobindo speaks of it in one of his letters. He says, you see, the mother bore upon herself all the problems and difficulties of her children. And he passingly mentions that once the mother asked for all worldly desires to enter into her. Normally what do yogis ask? Oh, I want to be get her. She is already rid of all this. She is free. <laughs> So she asks, let all earthly desires assemble in me, O Lord, that Thou mayst consider them, and Thy will apply itself in a very precise, clear, and definitive to the least detail as well as to the whole. That's how she understands what is desire, how to work through the desire. What is to be fulfilled? What is not to be fulfilled? What is to be purified? Everything because she has accepted it. Now, It is something very strange. We don't find anywhere in the history, at least I have not found anywhere, where all the desires are being invited. And of course, all the suffering, we have seen that in First World War, to, be, to enter into this purifying flame. Thus, the advent of the time expected will be hastened. The whole being exults in an intense joy and an unequaled plenitude. So we'll stop here. And we know that uh, the mother left on February 22nd, 1915 because of the war and she had to go. And then she goes through that anguish of going away from the Supreme Lord whom she has identified. She knows who He is. But what a perfect obedience. She says much later, if He would have once said stay, she would have stayed. But Sri didn't say. And she didn't stay. And why I look at it this way, that because Mother has gone, taken this. She left a psychic being here. And she went and fell sick because it was... You know, she was wandering without the soul, connected, but here. And then, you know, every time I used to come from outside and stay and go, the feeling of, you are going to lifeless world. (laughs) But every time I used to remember what she has experienced, she has gone through this. She speaks of it as harsh solitude feeling that, you know, is incomparable. Let me just, uh, one line, so that we can start next time from a solitude, a harsh, intense solitude, and always this strong impression of having been flung headlong into an inferno of darkness. So you see, this is the sign, when we uh, find the divine, then going away from him, separating from him after having found when we have not found we are enjoying life we don't even know what we are missing we go through sukha, dukha, pain, pleasure but having found having reached there and then to go away there is no greater suffering than that for the soul that's why Shubhinda uses a word in the mother the sadhak is free at any moment to take back his surrender Provided he is willing to suffer these spiritual consequences Materially nothing may happen, you may prosper for all you know But the spiritual consequences of that intense darkness that clouds us, ignorance that covers us We feel very happy Ah, Release from all that But what, where the ego rejoices, be careful Perhaps the soul is suffering And the suffering soul is not the key. The key is a glad, happy march toward the divine. Okay. Namaste.